We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Will Packer is a major Hollywood movie producer. He produced Night School, starring Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish, which is in theaters now and is very funny. He also produced Girls Trip and Ride Along and The Wedding Ringer, and he executive produced Straight Outta Compton. But I'm not really sure what a movie producer does. So I brought him into the studio and I asked him. It's Will Packer on Touré Show. You have a dream career, but one that most people don't understand. What does a movie producer actually do? That's true. Everything you said is true. Uh, and it is a dream. It's very, very hard. Um, but so here's here's how I say it. Uh, you watch the Oscars and you have all these various categories, right? Best director and best costumes and uh, score, cinematography. At the end of the night, the final award goes to best picture. And the producer yes. gets the award for Best Picture yes. because the producer is responsible for pulling together all those other categories, all those other elements, all that other talent in order to make the total film the Best Picture. So, um, And that's true whether it's uh, movies, TV, other content. So my job is to pull it all together. Find like the script. A project manager. Get the, art, get the actors to sign on. That's right. Get, get the, the right director. studio to come financing. in. Yeah. If it's independent, you got to find distribution. Get the money. Yeah. That's the number one thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in, in order to get the money, you need the talent. Get the talent, you need the money. So it's kind of, you know, you need distribution for any of that. So I don't know that there's a number one thing. It all is important. It all goes together. You know, you can have money, um, but without, like, talent or distribution, I'm not sure how valuable that is, right? You can have a great project, but if you can't finance it, then you just got a great project, you know? You don't and have a completed you, movie. Are you tinkering with the script? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a creative producer, so I'm not just, like, a business producer that, like, goes and, like, you know, talks to banks for financing and, and walks away. No, I'm very involved with coming up with, you know, concepts, ideas. Um, I don't write. I don't direct, but uh, I'm involved with the creative process, and I support my writers and directors. Developing the script. So are you— It's a big part of what producers do is developing. Somebody told me that casting is critical. Yeah, it is. It's, it is. I mean, it's almost every aspect every- of it, though. T. I'm not gonna lie to you. I mean, it, but cast. Listen, you know, you take a, you pick a movie and you you change the cast elements out, and that's going to be a very different movie. So there is no question. I have had, um, you know, a fair amount of success with ensemble 
pictures. Yes. And an ensemble movie, especially an ensemble comedy, that's a very um, intricate, delicate balance mm-hmm. because you got a lot of different skill sets that you got to bring together. You got to have them all kind of weave together um, seamlessly, which is a very difficult thing to do. Comedy's hard as a genre anyway. I think it's the hardest. But when you got ensemble comedy, it's even harder. Well, one of the things that you do that's really intelligent, I think, is that you are aiming at a niche audience. And so many artists and creators say, I want everybody to like my product, whatever that product is. And you understand, I'm going to make this product for a certain group of people, and they will love it, and that will make us successful. I think that's that's a true statement. I would just add some flavor on top of it, right? So I don't know that I am making a project that is um, solely aimed at a niche audience. However, in today's ecosystem, there's so much saturation that unless you have – one of those projects that really works across uh, all, you know, what they call four quadrants of the demographic spectrum that is really for everybody. Marvel movies. What are the quadrants? Star Wars. What are the four quadrants? Uh, it is. Um, oh gosh, uh, I'm actually not sure exactly. It's. It's. But it's like it's like male, female, young, old. Okay. Right. And so basically, you you divide them up, and so it's like for older males and older females and younger males and younger females. So that's basically how it is, and so. When you think about a project that is for everybody, very few projects actually appeal to everybody. Absolutely. So I think that what you have to do with content today is make something that definitively appeals to somebody. Yes. So I'm not going out saying, I just want everybody. I'm going out saying, listen, this is for, you know... Housewives in Tacoma between the ages of 30 and 40, right? Hopefully we're not that narrow. No, no. But I'm saying it's for that audience. If nobody else comes, they are coming. And I hope to make the movie in such a way that audiences outside of my core audience also will come and enjoy the picture. And if I pick the right core audience, one that is persuasive, one that is um, one that is loud, one that is influential, then I have a better chance of expanding my audience beyond the core. You're generally thinking about how can I make a movie that younger black people will go to, that middle-aged black people will go to? I would say that my core audience is um, middle-aged African-American women. Okay. Um, or um, young males. So if you think about, like, Ride Along, Straight out of Compton, young males. If you think about Girls Trip, Think Like a Man. Grown females, women. Grown women. Exactly. Okay. But, you know, we got some young women there, and we got some, you know, older guys. Night School is your newest one. That's yeah. sort of a mix, right, of, of you know, there's some, Kevin Hart is there, yep. so the young brothers are going to be like, yo, I like him, I feel him, you yep. know. And then Tiffany Haddish is, I mean, like, you got— Kevin's the, got a very diverse audience, but it's mostly younger. He's mm-hmm. got a younger audience. I mean, you know, when I say younger, I'm talking still like 30s right. and, and, and younger. Um, Tiffany clearly, I mean, she's got a broad audience now, but her core is certainly black women. They are, those are definitely like the, the, the first adopters of Tiffany so, Haddish. So does will. Night School begin with, here's a good script, let me find the people, or is it— let me get Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish and something together because they are both red hot. No, it didn't. That that's it. Looks smart after the fact, right? Because we got <laughs> you know I think two of the biggest comedians in the world. Absolutely. But no, what happened was it was a concept first, and it was actually a concept that Kevin Hart came up with. Okay. We're in London um, five six years ago doing promotions for the first ride along, and. We, at, we had done it. We were finished with the promotion of the movie. It had been a, like a successful, you know, promo run. We at the clubs. Me, it's uh, it's Cube, 
Kev, Tim Story, some other people. We kicking it. Like, this is like party time. You know what I mean? So Kev kind of, you know, stumbles over to me. You know what I mean? It's party time. T, I told you. Every, the work was done, right? Well, I got an idea. Oh, boy. Okay, here comes the drunk star with the—, with the <laughs> Let me hear this out. He said, well, you remember Breakfast Club? is one of my favorite movies. Said, what, what if? And he lightly pitched the concept behind Night School, a group of misfits who have, you know, uh, none of them got their GEDs, and now they all find themselves in a position where they have to get it now. And um, I said, man, that's actually a really good idea. I said, what else you got? Then what? He goes, no, nah, that's all I got. And then he went back to the dance floor. True story. <laughs> And what happened was he and I together started to develop that project from then. You know, Hollywood stuff takes a long time. By, by the time I'm on your show talking about it, you know, people think that it just happened. Well, this was years in the making. All movies are. And about a year ago, we had the script to a place where we were ready to shoot it. We didn't have a director. We didn't have any other cast other than Kevin. He was always going to star in it. I showed Kevin a cut of Girls Trip before it ever came out. And Kevin saw that movie came out and said, ah, oh. and I was showing it to him primarily from Malcolm Lee, but I also wanted him, of course, to see Tiffany, who he knew from back in the day and see how amazing she was. He was in the a huge mentor to her Absolutely. early on. No question. He came out. He said, we got to get Malcolm Lee and Tiffany Haddish in night school. And it happened. And Malcolm and I obviously just finished Girls Trip. So that was a great, easy transition from one movie to the next. And this was Tiffany's next movie after Girls Trip. What is the hardest thing about making night school come together because it seems from the outside we got a funny script we got kevin hart one of the funniest men on the planet tiffany haddish one of the funniest women on the planet should be simple roll camera and get out of their way but no it's never easy sometimes that's the hardest you know what i mean it's like a football team it's like it's like saying why can't lebron win every year you know what i mean there's a lot of competition out there there's a lot of other choices for the consumer win every year so (laughs) continue but we'll see we'll see if that continues um but, you know, I, I think that we do have kind of a comedic dream team, and I think we got a lot of things going for us that will hopefully make the film work. But, listen, you still got to execute. You still got to make a good project. Like, like Kev is great. Tiffany's great. You still got to put them in a position to do what they do very well. You still got to put people around them. You know, it's not an hour and a half of just Kevin and Tiffany telling jokes. That Nobody's going to see that, right? right. Um, you know, you can go to Instagram and see that. So <laughs> we have to have, like, a story that is, like, you know, engaging and provocative and has a reason for being and you need um you need it all to weave together seamlessly and you need to you know have audiences hopefully leave the movie feeling like they saw something that wasn't a waste of their hour and a half you yeah. know we tried to like put in uh you know themes that are not just about fun you know comedic silliness but also about second chances yep. um you know there's a threat about a learning disability that's in there uh, which Kevin's character has um there's a threat about you know um being yourself being true to yourself and being honest with the world about who you are and that being okay those kind of things I think that if you can put that into an entertainment package but you weave in things that actually have a little substance to them that's the best kind of content there's an interesting twist to Tiffany's character too that comes out at the end and I want to spoil it for folks but it was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it it is. Yeah, I mean, we try to make these characters have some depth. Yeah, um, and uh, and be real characters, and uh, you know, yeah, you're right. So when people see the movie, I mean, it's one of those things where um, you put marketing together for a movie, 
and you obviously got to put enough in it for people to want to see it. Um, but you've seen the movie, so yeah. uh, you know Romney Malco's character, yes, right? Yes, I mean, yes. you know, he is the, yes. he is uh, he's not Hotep, he's Fotep. He's uh, <laughs> he's a brother that's a little too woke. The sister uh, behind me kept saying Hotep every time he talked. <laughs> he's awesome, but he really like committed to this character. You don't see a lot of that in the trailers, but when people go see this movie, they're going to enjoy you know what he brings to his character. Romney's great. You guys know Romney Malco from you know uh, in my movie he was in uh, in the thing like a man. He's yep. in 40-Year-Old Virgin. He did Weeds. Like, you know, he's, he's, been, he's in been in a lot around. of stuff. Absolutely. And he's somebody that, like, really fit in with, like, the comedy hitters, as I like to call them. Now, you executive produced one of the great films of the last decade, Straight Outta Compton. One of the best. Let's start with what is the difference between an executive producer and a producer? That's a good question. So, producer, as we've been talking about, that's the person that is hands-on with pulling together all the elements of a film. So, Straight Outta Compton already had producers on board when I got involved. Okay. Uh, F. Gary Gray had been involved for a very long time, 10 plus years pulling that together, as well as, of course, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, and some others. And I had a relationship with the studio that ultimately made it, which was Universal. And so I was brought in to help bring this project, which was at another studio, into Universal, help to market it, help to uh, be an outside voice that wasn't, you know, within that group in WA and, and hadn't been involved with it for so long. Long. And so my job was a little more supervisory, a little more macro on that project. Okay, okay. Yeah, not as much in the minutia. I mean, again, it seems like, hey, this is one of the great stories in modern music. Yeah. You know, surely this is going to work. You know, we got the music license. They're on stage. They're battling with the cops. How could you go wrong? But. Yeah. It's never easy. So no. what were some of I mean, the... You could just point at a bunch of biopics that didn't work. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like biopics by themselves are super hard. So what are some of the creative challenges that you had to overcome to make it? Because it is a great film, the box office aside. Yeah. So what, what what were some of the creative challenges? A lot of challenges with something like that. You know, you have um, you have living members of a group and you had, you know... Um, um, you know, Easy, who's not with us anymore, and so you're telling his story posthumously. Um, you know, his estate was was very involved, um, and uh, at the end of the day, um, it is just it's tougher than people think to tell a true story. You know, because you're you're at the end of the day, you're creating cinema, you're recreating things that actually happened. Um, and you have a great responsibility to do it, but you still got to make it entertaining. It, it's it's tough. It's harder than something that's just pure fiction where you have license to do anything. Sure. There was a great responsibility with this. I have to give all props to F. Gary Gray. Like, that literally was the movie that he was born to oh, make. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I think everything else in his career, he's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah. I think everything else in his career led him up to the point where he could make that movie. He was from that world. He knew the guys back then. That was the movie he was born to make. i tell you something interesting about it, too, is that that movie was shot at the same time that we were shooting Ride Along 2. They uh-huh. both were shooting at the same time. And so I was primarily on set in... Um, in Atlanta and Miami shooting Ride Along 2 with Ice Cube. And so (laughs) Ice Cube is shooting a movie as an actor, right? All the things that come with that. At the same time, he's watching because the technology allows us to see what's going on across the country in L.A. Now, first of all, it's the movie that's going to tell the definitive story of him. His his story, right? So you can imagine, like, that alone is nerve-wracking. So you got to act, and then you got to watch your story being told, what is going to be the definitive story of you. Then, by the way, it's your, your son, son your baby. is in his acting debut. As you. And then... <laughs> 
He's playing you. Can you imagine? I would literally look at Cube like, where's your head right now? Right. And then we would just go, you know, Tim Story, who was directing Ride Along 2, would be like, okay, you ready? And action. And now he's got to be this character with all of that going on. So I got a lot of respect for the OG because that was, uh, that was a lot going on. That was a lot on his, uh, on his mental plate at that I time. I mean, you know, a lot of what you do in Hollywood is go into rooms where it's all white men. Yep. And get some money and get a green light yep. for something that's black. Yeah. How do you do that? Cuz I'm sure they don't understand the audience that you're talking to, the pitch you're talking to. They may or may not have heard of Tiffany Haddish. They yeah. may not be aware of Kevin Hart's success in the culture. So how do you make these folks who don't understand the culture understand, but we should give Will several million dollars to go do what he wants to do? <laughs> and more than several, yeah. Um you know what? It is because I approach it uh, from a business standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and as um, as liberal and socially conscious as uh, Hollywood uh, purports, and I think genuinely wants to be, mm-hmm. it's still a business at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yep. So the reason that I'm able to go in, pitch a project, and get financing for a project is because I have a track record of taking that money that I've received previously and turning it into a real profit. So you my can profit say, margins. I can say this is a good business decision. I can say bet on Will Packer. My profit margin is consistently X. Exactly. And X is a number that makes it worth having that conversation with me to do it again. So that gets It would be a tra- bad business decision to not come in and finance my next movie because if I take it somewhere else, they're going to see profits that you could have realized. So that gets you trust. Yes. It does. Hollywood, I'm told. access. It, it trusts. Hollywood, I'm told, is like, you're only as good as your last piece. So are you still getting love from the thing I did five years ago made money? Or is it just like, well, we're going to see how Night School did. And if you get that, then we're going to give you money for the next one. In a producer standpoint, that's a little bit, it's a little bit more what have you done late for me, lately, uh, as an artist, okay, as right? An actor because or as an actor, yep, directors, because they feel like, okay, you know, um, you know, we put T in a movie and it did well. Then the next movie didn't do well. Okay, maybe audiences are tired of him. Mm. Maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe we shouldn't bet on him. Producer is different because my job is to pull elements together. And so sometimes I may pull the wrong elements together, but it doesn't mean I don't have the ability with another good idea to do it right another time because I'm not as dependent on consumer whims, okay. like the up and downs of the roller coaster of who's hot and who's not. I'm not as dependent on that. Um, but I've been very fortunate that I I, uh, I haven't missed. You know, I, I haven't come in and done a project that lost money, never lost money. It- but if you did, I'd still be able to, you know, because you still have enough I, of the I track. I hope so, Hollywood. If you if you listening to this podcast, beyond I don't want the, no problems. If night school just happens to flop, listen, don't remember girls trip, guys. Remember, remember ride along. Remember me. Hello. Beyond the track record and the trust, what are you doing interpersonally? When you come in that room, we talk about code switching as something that's critical to success when you want to deal with something like that. All white men making these sort of decisions that don't understand your culture. Right. So how do you speak to them? How do you comport? How do you play the game in the town to get what you need? You know, what's interesting is that I have always embraced um, being somebody with a different perspective in the room. So when I come into those rooms and you're right, it's primarily uh, older white men. 
Um, those are the decision makers. But when I come in, they don't have the perspective that I have, and I use that to my advantage. So you don't so, know what I know. Exactly. And what I know, again, taking the business standpoint, so I don't come in and say, okay, make this movie because you should. Because you should care that we put um, black and brown faces in front of the screen or that we're telling a story nobody else is telling. They should, but I understand at the end of the day, the people with the real power, they're looking at the bottom line. They're looking at you know dollars and cents. And so I come in and say, Listen, there's a perspective that I have, which from a business sense makes sense for you to invest in because I understand this world. I understand this perspective. So it's not as much. I definitely have to present it to a way that's palatable for them and, and present it in a way that they can receive it and understand it. But ultimately, what I'm saying is that I know this audience. I know this audience and I've shown that I've known this audience and you may not. So allow me to put a project together for an audience that I know and do what I have done. And by the way, and this is very relevant, when I first started off, I had no Hollywood backing. So I had to go out and show that on my own, I could access this audience. Mm -hmm. On my own, I knew this audience and I could, the, the way to get Hollywood's attention is to make money without them. You make money without Hollywood, all of a sudden you're very popular <laughs> in Hollywood. Find you. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the whole thing of black films aren't global. We can't take them to China, Europe, whatever. Yeah. How do you surmount that? Well, it's tough. I mean, we haven't yet. That's still a battle, an ongoing battle. Even like with this film, Night School, we're taking Kevin Hart to multiple markets. We've already taken him to Europe. Um, we'll take him to some other markets. With, uh, with Girls Trip, we took Jada to multiple international markets. It's still a challenge. Here's the thing. It's, first of all, all films no matter who's in it, um, don't necessarily travel globally. So just, you know, you can have a movie sure. with five white stars. It doesn't mean it's going to sell in, you know, in Argentina. Sure. Um, but there is definitely a burden, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you have the international gatekeepers going, well, I don't think that film's going to work. So that is a challenge that we're still trying to overcome, and we will. Um, because as the world changes and the world gets more interested in seeing projects that look like the world, then projects like the type I make will have better access in territories that aren't necessarily, um, you know, U.S. What do you understand about the audience that's helping you be successful over and over? What are you giving in terms of your movies yeah. to black audiences that's making them buy tickets so much? An authentic voice and perspective. They're able to see themselves uh, in positions that and in and in themes and against backdrops and living lives um, that they haven't historically seen. That's that's the secret. The secret is just that we're just showing the people that I put in front of the camera as real humans, you know, as 360 degree full vivid HD people. You know, and um, and Hollywood doesn't have a history of showing that. And so, of course, you have to have, you know, really interesting, you know, concepts and scripts. And, and as I said, themes and backdrops. But ultimately, it is about showing real characters, not perfect. Right. Um, not people that don't make mistakes. It can be people that behave badly. It can be people that, you know, are, are doing things great, doing things poorly. It doesn't matter. Just real people. I have I'm very proud of the fact that um, I have put imagery on the screen that has not historically been shown and audiences are responding to it. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First.
Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. Is there a film that you watched that you said, that, that is the direction, that's the idea that I want to go for, that, that is doing this sort of authenticity that you're talking about? I mean, Crazy Rich Asians, obviously, that's one we can, I can point to right now. I just, I love the fact that, first of all, it's such a travesty that it's, it, it took that long. <laughs> oh my gosh, that there wasn't, like, there's a Crazy Rich Asians in but 2018. Is there, a, is, is there a black film that you watched when you were formulating that sense of how to relate to the culture through your films that you said, that, mm. that is the vibe. Like earlier on that yeah, I said, Boomerang. That, boomerang. Yeah, for sure. Because because it was, you know, there was nothing about that just that screamed like this is for black people, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously at that time, Eddie was a, was a big star um, and was a big global star. But the movie was just a really great rom-com. Um, and it just had these great, you know, human characters. I remember the and you saw black people in successful roles. They were successful, roles. and they, you know, they intelligent, they, in charge. They spoke intelligently. You know, some of them spoke spoke foolishly. You know, John Witherspoon's character was great he was in great. there. You know, but but, but, but it I, wasn't it, about just being. It reminds me of my cousin, my uncle, whatever. Absolutely, but and a white person could say that too. You yes. know what I mean? I mean, he was very specific in terms of his, you know, culturally he was specific, which I loved. But that movie was just a great movie with real characters who happened to be black, and so it felt uh, inclusive, not exclusive. And that's the other thing I try to do with my movies. I try to be really authentic with the characters, but I try to make movies that ultimately are inclusive. You're Come on in, everybody. Whoever you are, whether or not you look like the characters on the screen or not, come on in because it's a good story. Is it a Barry Gordy, Motown aesthetic? I'm going to make black culture that white people want to consume as well. I think so. I think so. Because I think if you just tell real culture and do it authentically and well, that audiences will consume. And in the same way that, um, you know, minority cultures have consumed mainstream content for so long that where they may not see themselves ever. We have no chance. You know, we have no choice. But we also consumed it and enjoyed it. You know what yes, I mean? It's like, yes. no, we didn't have a choice because we didn't have options. Yes. But we went in and we're like, oh, my God, I love it. You know, but- Superman, he's great. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. 
Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Let's see how how politic you are. Uh-oh. Is there, this is where the interview goes left. No, no. Is, is, there a fil- is there a film that you, a black film you looked at, you're like, I don't want to be that? Oh. Um, I'm, I'm. Here's the thing. It's it's tough to ask somebody like me that. It's not about me being po- political. It is the fact that I know what it takes to make a movie. And so I know you can take whatever, you know, as an audience, we can all hold hands and say, oh, that was just a piece of trash. That was the worst thing ever. And I can tell you that at one point it wasn't a piece of trash. I can tell you that the intention of that film was to be a great piece of art. Of course. On some level, even if it's just commercial. Sure. And what happens is it's such a collaborative process. So many things happen when it comes to the execution of a film. So many voices, so many cooks in the kitchen. I Usually when there's a film that is just trash, it, there's a point where it went left. And it's not always the fault of a director, a producer, a star. Usually it is uh, it is the cumulative effect of this business. So because I know what it takes to make a film and I know how many, you know, great films there are that that don't make money that people never hear about. And I know how many awful films there are that make a bunch of money and people think like it's really hard for me to be like, whoa, that movie I don't want to do because I know the behind the scenes. Okay, okay. I mean, and I totally understand that. It's not like an album, which is a smaller group of people, right? So if you may, you know, if but it's primarily album, that artist. Yeah, if your album the, is whack, it's probably it's probably you. the artist, and you probably but, don't like the voice of that particular artist, and that typically that artist has a way bigger level of control over the final product. And there's three sort of moments of life, right? There's the moment of development uh-huh. where things can go left. Yeah. There's onset, and yeah, then there's the editing room, and there, yep. And but by the way, there's also the marketing because there are movies that, you know, these studios have a lot of investment in these movies, so they're just trying to figure out how to get butts in seats. And so the way a movie can be sold, the positioning of a movie to the audience, that's the first time consumers usually, a trailer, you know, clips that somebody edits together for you to see, that's the first time consumers pass judgment on a film. Sometimes you can get those first three phases right and mess up the marketing and the perception of a film. There are people that go, oh, no, that was awful. Did you see it? I don't need to. I know what it's about. See, that's, and I'm like, eh. See, you, a lot of people look at the trailer and they say, they told me so much about the movie, but they want you to know what you're getting into. Well, you have if, to these If days. I thought I was going to a comedy and it turns into a horror film, yeah. I'm going to be pissed off. And, the trailer's got to give you all that kind of information. And there's so much competition that, you know, p- 
people who say, oh, the trailer tells you everything. Well, you're not going to movies where the trailer doesn't tell you enough. Right. I'm just telling you that <laughs> right, right now. Right, because right, there's right. too much content out there and too many choices. You're going to what you think you're going to enjoy and what is worth your time. So you're very good as you said, about putting together these ensembles, right? Girls Trip was just a beautiful group of people who we all loved and respected coming together. Straight Outta Compton does that. A lot of your films are doing that. How do you evaluate actors? You know, um, I've been very fortunate that with these two stars in night school, Kevin Hart, Tiffany Haddish, I was there um, at like the beginning of their ascent into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Now, those are two extremely talented people that, you know, I don't I didn't create their talent at all. What I did was create a project that was the springboard, mm -hmm. was the platform at that moment for that talent. For Kevin, it was Think Like a Man in the Ride Along. For Tiffany, obviously, it was Girls Trip. I think that what I do is it's not just evaluating talent, but in today's ecosystem, it's about is that talent specific to a particular platform and a particular time. In other words, I really felt like it was Tiffany's time in that role in that movie. I really felt like that was like, I think if you had made Girls Trip five years ago or five years later and put Tiffany in it, I don't know that it hits the same way. Mm. Uh, same thing with Kevin Hart. I think he was, Kevin had, had you know, Soul Plane. Remember that? I mean, like he had had leading roles and Hollywood had written him off and said, ah, he's not a star. You know, he had his chance. But I think it was that moment in time where everything aligned for him. He had gone and he, w he had been building up an audience through his stand-up. He had found his voice in a different way at that time. He needed a platform that could play into that kind of, you know, that fun, self-deprecating thing he does really well. And that's what that particular character was doing and thing like a man. You know, he was like the short, angry guy who was divorced. You know, he was like, <laughs> it was that project and that role at that time. So when I think about talent, I think about um, the right platform. I don't just think about, oh, that guy's funny or that, that, that woman is an amazing actress. I think about, okay, what do I have? What's the platform that they would be great in? In addition to, are they connecting with audiences? Okay, okay. I mean, what Tiffany did in Girls Trip was extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. By far, at that moment, the least famous out of the quartet of That's stars. Right. That's right. Shine didn't outshine, but Shine really made the movie, really. I mean, what did she do in that moment of filming that made that just explode? She was fearless. That's the big thing, because you said it. She was in a position where, you know, you've got you've got Regina Hall, you've got Queen Latifah, you've got Jada Pinkett Smith, and you're a um, largely unknown black actress that is coming in as the fourth. Well, that's, that's, that's daunting. And a lot of people would kind of try to hedge their bets, you know? She didn't. She was absolutely fearless, and that's why... Uh, a, it's why she is who she is and she's having the success that she's having, but that's really why she took what was on the page and elevated it beyond the stratosphere because she was fearless coming in with that role, with those people in that movie, and the moment wasn't too big for her. She said, you know what, win or lose, I'm going all the way out. Yeah. All I'm, I will be fearless and I will give a thousand percent into this role, and that's what she did. And she talked about... Uh, getting love and support from the other sisters and other people on the film yeah. so that it wasn't like, you're taking my lines, you're a newbie, slow right. down. It was right. like everybody sort of lifting each other up. And that could have happened. It happens more than, um, you know, I, I wish it did in Hollywood, where, because it's so competitive, yeah. especially when you talk about actors of color, because they're fighting over a, f a smaller pool of roles. But 
she definitely was embraced without a doubt uh, by the other three sisters in that movie. They absolutely said, come on, you know, we got you. Let's do this. Let's have some fun. And that allows you to be fearless. And then that allowed her the license to go and be her best self. Yeah. We'll get back to the show in a second, but I want to give a shout out to longtime supporter of Torrey show, Policy Genius. Look, I took my kids to school this morning. Now we go on the subway. And... My son's in sixth grade, my daughter's in fourth grade, and, you know, you think about doing everything you can to take care of your kids, but you shouldn't just be thinking about what you can do to take care of your kids while you're here and living. You should be thinking about what you can do to take care of your kids even after you're gone, and that's where life insurance comes in. Something for, happens to you, God forbid, There'll be somebody there to take care of your family while you're gone. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance online. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find the best policy for you. When you compare quotes, you save money. So if you're looking for a good reason to buy life insurance, it's National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Prices are at a 20-year low, and Policy Genius makes it easy to get the right policy so you can take care of your family after you're gone. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes, do the whole thing on your phone. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance and get that peace of mind that your family will be taken care of after you're gone. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Scripps. Yeah. I'm sure you got a 
shack tall. Please don't hand me a stack of scripts on your desk. No, sir. No, this is this is New York. This is New York. I don't have a script, although I do have an idea. Like, but no, 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 no. The only thing I've never met anybody that either didn't have a movie idea or an amazingly cute kid. That's all I get. I get a lot of great ideas and kids. I can I can tell somebody how that idea is not for me. But how do you tell somebody that their kid is not that talented? But 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 when you are handed a script, yeah. How do you evaluate it? How do you say yes? Because I'm sure you say no to 95% of the scripts you get. I think a lot about, um, again, content is everywhere now. There's this oversaturation of content. People can get whatever they want whenever they want and wherever they want. By that, I just mean that you can, you know, in the theaters, uh, at home, on your devices, you can watch whatever whatever content you're into, the type of content, like somebody's making it for you, and you can go find it, right? So what that means is that if you're going to, especially if we're talking about a theatrical movie, it really has to have a reason to be. There really has to be something about it that's going to stand out and engage and connect with an audience. Now, sometimes it's just an amazing story that needs to be told. Mm-hmm. But an amazing story that needs to be told doesn't mean that you make a theatrical movie because the the risk um, from a financial standpoint is too high these days. So you need something that's really going to connect with an audience if you're going to do a studio theatrical feature. And so you need something that's going to be uh, provocative and original enough, high concept enough, and and is going to uh, engage and capture the fancy, if you will, of audiences mm-hmm. who are super distracted these days mm-hmm. and who have everything, every choice in the book to do other than go see your movie, other than leave their homes, especially to go to a theater, go drive, Uber, Lyft, walk, whatever, Bro. to get to a theater, pay those high ticket prices, buy the popcorn and the soda. Now I'm out of $100 and I'm sitting in this seat for an hour and a half, boy, you better bring it. it. So I think about that at the script standpoint. Is this that thing that's going to make people go through all that and then go, you know what? It was worth it. I mean, my sister, I'm like, yo, you want to go see Black Panther? She's like, no. Too expensive. And she's balling and she's like, no, I'm like, and she's like, you know. First the, of all, that's why she's balling, because she's not, she's not spending money with you, <laughs> sir. You out here just throwing money in there. You know, these producers are already rich enough. But I mean, I, you know, I, I love the art. I love films. I love going to see yeah. a good movie. And you it's know? not like going to see it in a theater, too. Yeah. That's really the medium. Well, let's that, talk about that part of it, because, okay. you know, we're both parents, yep. right? Yeah. It's hard to get out of the house to see a movie, especially if you're not taking the kids with you. Right. You're adding a, what, 40 60 $100 on top of for babysitting. Very true. I would pay 40 or $50 to see your movie at first home. weekend at home, yep. but the theater owners are not trying to hear it. Correct. Where are you on that? Would you like to see movies made more available on demand earlier at home or right. let the theaters do their thing and then get to it later? It's not even about where what I would like. It's what's going to happen. Okay. It's going to happen. Um, and there, what we've seen um, with technology being where it is is the true um, democratization of media. People are in control, not producers, financiers, studio stars. People, people are dictating more than ever how our industry will respond and deliver to them. And so um, it's just a matter of time when you will be able to do that because we're losing you. We lost your sister. We're losing you in the theaters. 
you're not coming out. I can't Opening come as much weekend, as I maybe not even through the whole theatrical run. But you're not really thinking about me. I'm in my 40s. You're it's really not true. thinking about the folks in their 20s and 30s, not true. right? You know why? Because 20s and 30s are on their phones. That's what they're consuming. They to them, it is not as um, as painful as it is for you and I to watch an entire movie on that little three and a half inch screen. You know what I mean? <laughs> you and I. That's like, what are we doing? You know? But our kids, yo, yo, yo my kids. If the TV is on, and we got a big TV, and my phone is on. They Listen, will look at the I phone every time. I cut the satellite. I got, I had direct TV. I cut it off in my house. My kids didn't even notice. <laughs> they didn't notice for a couple of months. My wife asked them, hey, y'all, y'all, you want me to cut the direct TV back on? They had to look up from their Device. Netflix, Hulu, whatever. And they said, what? What'd you say? What are you talking about? They didn't even know. So it's different. It it is. Um, so I am. I am just as an industry. There is money we're leaving on the table because you would pay a premium, and a lot of people are like you who would pay a premium. Who probably we're not getting in the movies anyway right now. Mm-hmm. There is still a strong audience that goes. Um, there is an advantage. My audience does go to the theaters because, you know, um, they consume, we consume content uh, more communally than, than some other demos. Uh, and I love that. Um, you saying black folks will go as a, as a group? We go. We Get, get your a, sisters. That's right. Your, your, your homeboys Make and no we're going to go as a group. Tell you, Girls Trip, they were, they were going in groups and in droves and it was as much about the experience, the communal experience of consuming and enjoying that entertainment as it was just watching the movie. And the film speaks to that in that it is a group going to Essence. That's right. And all the sisters who did that yeah. are excited to see that. And those who want to go to Essence and haven't been at the show, they get to experience that yeah, vicariously. Yep. So that was part of the whole... Yeah, without a doubt. When I was first thinking of, because that was, that's a movie that is an idea that came from me. And I, I met my wife at Essence, and so I knew all about Essence. I had promoted movies at Essence. I proposed at, F, at Essence to you my wife. You proposed your wife at Essence? On stage, uh, between Jill Scott and Maxwell. Wait, got, wait, 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 got, wait, wait, wait. What happened now? <laughs> Tell me the story. <laughs> so I, I went to Essence, and uh, I was down there with Idris Elba, and he was hosting a boat cruise. And my... Um, now wife was working in the marketing department of the company that was sponsoring the boat cruise and we met on this boat. Cut to four years later, we went back down to Essence and, you know, she didn't know it all. I, in between, um, uh, after Jill Scott got off stage, I'm backstage hanging out, which wasn't abnormal, right? You know, Essence, they're my people, I'm backstage, so she was with me. Um, Nephew Tommy, who was the host of Essence at that time, he's on Steve Harvey Radio Show, he, um, he calls me to the stage, and I grab my wife's hand. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I need you to come with me. Now, she didn't know. It wasn't obvious at the point because what I did was I got up there and I said, hey, everybody, you know, I met this this uh, amazing woman at Essence and it's our anniversary of meeting at Essence. Everyone goes, oh, and I said, yeah, tell her happy anniversary. And so she kind of thought that was the moment. Then I turned and looked at her and, and professed my love. And that's when everybody, you know, oh, I, you know, I got down on one knee. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did that. I saw the brother propose at the Emmys the other day. He got on one knee late. I said, I would, you know, you got to make it clear what, you, what true, you're saying. True. I think he put the ring on the finger first before he got on one knee. No, I need to no, look at the backwards. clip again. That's, yeah. that's, that's the ask is the knee. You can't just right. I got on knee. I, I start professing my love. I got so on my knee right away. So the starts cheering. It's crazy. It was in the Superdome. 50,000 people, and they went crazy. Yeah. It's on and, YouTube. And she's feeling like. She was like, oh, my God. What are you doing? Because she's been, not a public person like that. Right. No. 
Uh uh-uh. uh. She wasn't so you're putting her on that. front street. Yes, absolutely. But she's happy I, to be there. I, she was happy to be there. I had told her, uh, thank God, my right she hand, Shayla she... Cowan, who's here, told me, listen, if you're going to propose, make sure you have her wearing something nice or else she's going to be mad with you. True. In one of the most True. special moments. True. Because I knew it was going to get filmed and all that. So I told I said, listen, wear something really nice because we're going to go to this event afterwards. Because if we were just going to concert, she might have thrown on like some jeans and sneakers or something. <laughs> right. So sure. I said, no, we're going to go to this fancy cocktail party, you know, afterwards, VIP reception, throw on something nice. And so. I had her looking good on and stage. And you knew that she was going to say yes. Well, here's the thing, brother. When you <laughs> ask in front of 50,000 people, you had your bets, okay? Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was hoping, but I said, let me ask in front of all these folks because she got to say oh, yes now. Because you, I know you are old enough like me to remember when Ahmad Rashad asked Felicia <laughs> I saw on it. TV. Yes. And she was like, <laughs> let's talk about it. It was like, whoa, she didn't say yes. Yeah, you're right. I could, listen, it, that was a, the problem position when you do it like that is you go big or go home. So right. it was either going to be an amazing moment or a moment that people are going to still be talking about. People still talking about, look, this is an amazing moment uh, in black film right now. A year when Spike Lee, Barry yes. Jenkins, yes. Uh, 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 Steve McQueen yep. are all coming out. Releasing. Boots Absolutely. Riley came hard. Sure did. Jordan sure Peele did. is making big noise. Yep. Ava DuVernay is yep. doing something big right Absolutely, now. Absolutely, no. What is there going on? more black storytellers yeah. uh, What right is going now? on that more black storytellers on the big screen and we could go through all the Donald Glover's, Issa Rae's, Chael Coker's on the small yes. screen. Yeah. With Shonda Rhimes. Yeah, Kenya what, Barris. What, yep. Yeah, Kenya is yep. doing it big. I mean, she's, can I get a loan? What's yeah. going on? What's really yeah. good? Yeah, Kenya got that nice Netflix deal. Oh, my God. Yeah, what, what, got... What's going on that more of us are getting to tell the stories that we want to, the way we want to tell them? Yeah, it's, it's two things. Um, number one is, like I told you about that, uh, the democratization of media now. Hollywood, uh, the industry, the entertainment industry, is recognizing the power of the dollar of the audiences that are supporting that content. Um, it's not just black audiences. It's led by black audiences for sure. But Hollywood is realizing that if you're going to make money in 2018, 19, 20 and beyond, your content better look like the world. Uh, if you think about it, you're not seeing nearly as many movies that are just lily white, just all white, no color at all. In Like that doesn't happen nearly as much because those movies are not as successful as they once were. However, a movie that does have a cast that looks like the world that we live in, those movies are winning. So that's the first thing is that the bottom line, this is a business. Is there a film that tipped them off to this bottom line thing that's existed for quite a while? Well, I mean, we've had black films that have made money. Um, but I think that you, in the past five years, have started to see movies that have consistently made money with diverse audiences. I mean, I'm, I, I have nine number one movies. Not number one in Detroit, not number one in Atlanta, you know, but nine number one across the board. So yeah, that means America. I did some. You got it. I did something those weekends that, you know, a bunch of other films wish they could have done. I got more uh, audiences going to see my movies than others. And so... I am certainly have been a part, along with a lot of other people, in showing Hollywood that there is real money to be made in the content. The other thing is that you've got all those storytellers that you named who are hungry and who, and who are doing it by any means necessary. You've got a generation of creators and filmmakers and storytellers right now who will not be denied, who are going to figure out a way to get their stories told. I mean, I feel like in the television space— the success of Shonda Rhimes yes. and and Oprah 
opening it up at own no question. and Netflix expanding the playing field massively yes. has changed it that a lot of black creators are coming. No in, question. Right? Yeah, there's there's more, there's uh, more distribution places outlets to go. now. Right. Hollywood is Content making is king right now. fewer pictures than they used to make. Right, Each studio is contracting a Barrier little bit. Barrier to entry right? is too high. It's so, too expensive. Exactly. Yeah. So what is the thing that led Hollywood... What is the tipping point moment? What is the, was there a movie or was there a success that led them to say, is, this is before Black Panther, right? Uh-huh. Black Panther benefits from this trend. Okay. What, what was the thing that made folks say, let's give more of them a chance? Well, it's the economics. It's the economic imperative that the, bu- the business operates under. So, again, they were not making money in the same way they did traditionally with, like, you know, a white male star and you just put elements around them and you win like it's the star system is completely upside down now you know what i mean a star doesn't really mean much when it comes to theatrical movies so what happened was hollywood had to figure out how are we going to bring these other audiences in marvel needed black panther right as much as the culture needed black panther marvel needed black panther because they needed something to make sure that they continue to feel relevant as big as those movies are you know there's just there's a shelf life after a while people will get tired of you know comic book franchises it will happen but this gave a whole new life to it and a whole new dimension that could open up so hollywood needed diverse storytelling to help keep the lights on as crazy as that may sound they need all those people you just named they need the jordan peels and the and the spikes and the boots and everybody else to come and create content that's going to bring audiences to the theaters because audiences aren't going like they used to mm, mm. what's your superpower well this is this is where it gets weird. I'm 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 able to turn invisible, Tori. I thought I would No. Is that not is that not what he meant? I thought y'all <laughs> re- No uh, What if I gave that as a really straight answer? It's like, I'm glad you asked me. Um I time teleport. Shayla's so looking like what I shape shift. No, she she loves it when I go, right now. When I go left, she loves it. Look at that face right there. She uh, said no boy. Come you know, on, you have faith. 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 Faith, brother. Yes. Faith. Faith in God, faith in myself. That's what it is. Because surely, for you to have gotten here, you went through a lot of no's. Absolutely. And you kept going Correct. through the no's. That's right. So why? How are you able to keep going when you're getting no from this? Because you're going out asking a bunch of white people for millions of dollars right. to tell a black story. Right. I'm sure you get 40 no's before you get to one yes. Right. So certainly used to. I get... I get they return my calls now because they don't want to miss out on those uh, those Will Packer opening weekends. But um, you know, when I uh, when I first started, it was the one voice that uh, that said yes. So I got a lot of no's from a lot of powerful people um, who were in positions to know what was going to work and what wasn't going to work, and they were telling me that's not going to work, and and you don't have the skill set, or you don't have the resources, or you don't have the relationships. And I was hearing that a lot, like a lot of people listening to us right now and watching us right now. Now, they know that they're hearing from powerful people what they can't do, what they won't do, what they shouldn't do, what they'll never be able to do. But it doesn't matter if you, if the voice inside of you is saying what you can do. And that's the thing that kept me going and still keeps me going. I wake up every morning and I tell myself that I'm enough. I tell myself that I have what it takes. I tell myself that I am good enough, that I will be able to succeed because the rest of the day I'm going to be hearing the opposite. But I start off with the most important voice girding me up and telling me what I can do. 
That's the thing that keeps me going. Are you are you looking in the mirror or are you just this an internal voice as you're waking up, as you're going through your morning Both. routine telling you Both. Both. I'm I'm great, I can do it. Yes. I'm the man. That's my daily meditation. That's my version of that. Some people, you know, I'm not a person that does great with quiet moments, you know. I'm I I'm kind of an overstimulation person. I like to have a lot of noise. In a weird way it helps me focus. But my moment my kind of daily ritual is the I am enough. I have what it takes. I can do this. I am great. Again, because I need that. I have to pump myself up with that because it's gonna be whittled away throughout the day in various ways. So if you don't start off with your tank empty, by the time you go, everybody is draining you all day, you know, you'll be on E. You got to start with it on, I mean, on Tiffany full. Tiffany Haddish talked about doing a similar thing. Did you sort of talk about that with her or do you find this path on your own? This is something I've been doing for a long time. But Tiffany's somebody who's, you know, who's been homeless, who's been in and out of the foster care system. Like that's a that's a very challenging journey. And so you learn ways to cope. You learn ways to not be dependent on other people when you have her path. For me, I learn how to believe in myself because I was constantly being told by other people what I didn't have. And so so we all have these coping mechanisms, especially when you're talking about being a minority in an industry that's not controlled by people that look like you, that may not get your content or may not understand your perspective or point of view. You have to learn a way to cope within those industries. So you would tell the folks listening, watching, you got to get up in the morning yep. and tell yourself how great you are. Period, point blank. And let that be the loudest voice that you will hear that day and do it every day. And never stop doing it. And you will find a level of success. Thanks to Will Packer for a fantastic interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please tell your friends about the show and subscribe, rate, review, all that helps. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and the Young Turks with help from William Jolly, Jason Wallace, Candid Nicole, and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.